Hey there, everybody. It's Russ and Laura. And we're back with another live stream. And I am so excited about our guest today. Yes, yep. me too. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to be chatting with our friend Martina Brimmer from Swift Industries. And, um, you know, we met her, geez, almost over a decade ago, right? It was over a decade ago, 11 years ago. Yeah. When we kicked off and did our big bike tour and started this whole Pathless Pedal thing, we actually stopped. Uh, at their apartment at the time, crashed with them. And back then, Martina was still making bags in her living room. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a lot has changed since then, I think. Yeah. So it's always awesome to visit with our friend uh, Martina. I think we've had her on the YouTube channel many times. So I'm sure you guys are, are really familiar with her. And today, I think the topic is going to be uh, what it's like to have a small business in the bike industry. Maybe talk a little bit about what's going on right now. Uh, but before we get started, uh, we've got a bunch of awesome Patreon supporters in the Zoom call as well. They'll get a chance to ask Martina directly their questions. That's one of the fun perks of joining the Patreon community. Yes, it is. Yeah, as well as discounts and all sorts of good stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, we totally appreciate you guys. You guys make this content possible. I have to be completely honest. There's many times uh, during you know, this whole COVID thing where I'm just a, a ball of existential doubt and it's hard to <laughs> hard to get up to make videos, but you guys uh, keep the ball rolling. So thank you for that. Uh, but enough talk. Uh, where's Martina? Uh, a muter. Welcome, Martina. Yay. Uh, hi, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. It's so nice to see you all. Yeah. yeah we were talking in a previous live stream that the last time we saw you in person, we were in Tucson. <laughs> yeah, before all of this blew up. Feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, it does. It feels like a lifetime ago. It's um, a whole different world out there today <laughs> than it was. I would, I would say it was probably the third week of February, right? And yeah. I had spent one month um, taking a little break from running the business at Swift and really taking time to be on my bike with our products and doing some adventuring for myself. And, um, it was good that I came home to this very well rested. (laughs) 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 Um, So when you, when you, when you came home, were things starting to get locked down already? Yeah. Yeah. So there was definitely, um, Gosh, like you say, like this is like one of those instances where crisis really makes time so ephemeral. Um, it's hard to kind of pinpoint when what happened. Um, it, I think it was about a week later that it started to feel quite real in Seattle. And um, I do remember that uh, it got like very real the weekend of Mid-South. Um, and that I kind of point to that weekend because, um, while we had been kind of debating whether Jason should go to Mid-South or not to go ride and be a vendor and connect with like all of the amazing folks who show up there. Um, that was already when like, there was a little bit of talk about like reducing travel and I was just like, just go like, this feels like it's like a lot of hype, um, we're such like a fear-based culture. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then um, at the same time, so Mid-South was happening. And then also uh, one of the awesome people who does marketing and content for us, um, Todd Gilman, who I'm sure you'll all meet very soon. 
Um, he also packed up to do an adventure in the desert with a bunch of friends. And so kind of by like Thursday afternoon, um, everybody was kind of departing, doing their adventures, going to these amazing bike events. Right. And by Saturday, I felt like I was running a business in crisis completely alone, like <laughs> utterly and completely alone. I did not know if I was going to have my business at the end of that week. Uh, um, and that was really intense. Um, right. I have dear family here. Jason's family is in Seattle with us. And um, they really are like my support and go-to. And I know that things are challenging when um, I'm feeling so nervous and freaked out that I just go and have to like sit on their couch <laughs> to right. be in company. Um, yeah. So that's, that's really where I found myself in tears that Saturday, just really questioning if I had the gumption to pull my company through what it felt like was unfolding. Right. It was really fast. Yeah. I, m- I remember well, I caught a Friday. Yeah. I saw your video with uh, Seattle Bike Blog, and you look shell shocked. <laughs> like, oh <my> <laughs> yeah, I really was, and it was a really—it's always an interesting experience. I—I I feel like I'm a pretty open book about my experiences running this company, um, but it's always a really interesting experience to kind of like we have this incredible way of bringing our communities together and really bringing levity to our community. I think that's something that we at Swift as a team love to do. It's like a gesture to our, the people who like pay our livelihoods and support us (laughs) um, to bring folks together. And so um, like immediately I was like, okay, Swift social distance cycling club, go. But then I was also holding, um, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot the last couple days, but really understanding now three, four weeks later, how much fear I was holding for myself and for all of our employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that experience of leading through crisis is deeper than I really could have ever imagined. Um, you want to take everybody's fears seriously and be really careful not to feed hysteria. Mm-hmm. Um, when at the same time, I, I could not make any promises that we would have a company to come back to. Oh. It was heartbreaking. It was a heartbreaking yeah. week. Yeah. So what's the um, status now? Have you guys completely stopped production or what's, what's going on? Good question. Um, <laughs> status right now is actually really good. So like big, big, awesome class. Hey. Around. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> um, so, the what we had to do was um, for the health and safety of our workers and our community, we decided to close Swift Industries down. Um, and those who could work from home have been doing so even before we actually had social distancing and um, shelter in place instated by the governor. Um, and we're really fortunate that we have a couple of really significant roles here that uh, can be kind of shifted on to computer work and such. Um, but we did have to close down our sewing manufacturing. 
Um, that is a workforce here at Swift that really relies on having very specific equipment to do our really good job, our work. And then um, we looked high and low for ways to plug into uh, producing PPE. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of questions came up for us about how to manage that well. Um, so in the end, uh, folks were doing, making PPE from home, those who could, um, and plugging into other contracts, government contracts and independent contracts that could be made available. Um, but it felt something I'm not hearing a whole lot about is that actually it felt really challenging to tell our customers to come to work when everybody was telling us that it was unsafe to do that. Mm -hmm. And that just, it did not feel right to me. And so at first it was like very clearly about letting each person have agency over that decision. Um, But it's so, it's so confusing as a small business owner Mm -hmm. um, to weigh like, you know, the governor being like, shut it down. Like we cannot interact but then to understand that um, some, you know, PPE workers, essential workers, folks are really putting their health on the line. And um, in some ways that felt pretty unfair and perplexing. Right. Um, so folks made their own decisions essentially. Um, but those were kind of like the dilemmas <laughs> that were cropping up that were like really unexpected and uh, like really, really uncharted territory at the time. So yeah, we'll learn a guys, lot. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> so were you, were you still shipping orders? Were orders coming in or was it pretty much just crickets for a while? Yeah. So, um, we, so I'll tell you the things that we are so lucky to have had in place and it was complete serendipity. We got a full shipment of our stock inventory and put it on shelves two weeks before COVID and shelter in place took place. So Mm -hmm. we have like for one tons of inventory and for two, some of the most beautiful highest quality work we have ever done. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome. People have really come shopping and come to support us. So when we thought that it would be crickets, it has not been crickets. Awesome. So yeah, it's, it's so cool. So Jason has shifted, you know, we have Swift Adventure Co, which is a guiding company and kind of like outdoor school concept that we are developing and nurturing and trying to bring kind of as a full-fledged business. Uh, this is clearly not the year for such endeavors. <laughs> So Jason took that hat off, put on the shipping hat, um, and has been shipping like on mass every single day since we closed down kind of the production side of things. Mm-hmm. Jason and I, our husband and wife team, we live together. So it feels like really appropriate that he comes to work and has like interaction in the business, is solo here. And then I'm just working from home. Um, yeah came down today to get a little change of pace and better internet um, for this live stream. Awesome. Yeah, but we are talking now 
about what it's going to look like when we open our doors up and knock on wood, we're going to be like super flexible and take it as it comes. But our hope is to be ready on May 4th when Washington opens up again um, Mm -hmm. to just like, we have to sew so many zeitgeists. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's going to happen. (laughs) Yeah. It's wild. So nice. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, let's talk about um, the the business and a little bit more. Uh, we came up with a, a list of questions that were or topics <laughs> that we're going to go through. But one of them is, you know, as we alluded to before, we we met you. I don't know over a decade ago, and back then, uh, you know, you're still you're making stuff in your your living room. How have your goals changed as a business as you've grown? <laughs> Was it you know basically I just got to sell some bags to to what's it now? Like what's what's been that moving target? Oh, wow. Oh, you couldn't have sent me these earlier, huh? Oh, sorry. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see how else. We, we couldn't have. We just came up with them. Yeah, we, we. <laughs> um, so I would actually say even that uh, day one is was not explicitly about selling bags. Mm-hmm. That day one was uh, more explicitly about making bags. And it was like a very surprising and awesome byproduct that they were selling and that there was interest in them. Um, So that was day one. And actually, in this quiet COVID time, I've been riding my bike through the city and um, I just went by the house where we started Swift Industries. And it's in a neighborhood called South Beacon Hill here in Seattle. And I lived with, I think there were nine of us in a punk house. And uh, we started Swift there. That was the house pre prior to the one that uh, you all saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's where we started Swift. And I was just obsessed with bikes and obsessed with making things. Like, like truly, I could not help myself but to make things. And you can right. kind of name the medium Um, but I always have like this creative itch and, um, bikes and bags just happen to be a really amazing outlet for that. Mm -hmm. Fast forward 12 years, a lot looks very different. Um, oh, I hate talking aloud about my goals because it feels. You're going to jinx yourself or. (laughs) (gasps) Yeah, I, I, I am also realizing I have a very superstitious side to me. (laughs) Also a little embarrassing to admit, I grew up in California, so I'm going to blame it on my hippie mom. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Even back at the beginning, you had like the presence of mind that, you know, it wasn't about, you know, sewing or production, but it was, there was always kind of a larger goal uh, behind everything. Yes. Yeah. Um, Ooh, okay. Vulnerability in front of people. Um, <laughs> so what I want now is um, I, I think that we have done an incredible job as a true definition, true by definition, cottage industry business began in our basement. Um, I would like us to move into like a mid tier size business and um, I think that like that, that sounds so dry, but um, <laughs> um, there is, uh, I think, so much room 
in the independent gear uh, industry and much less for a female owned and run and led company to start to come in and really bring a very, very different narrative voice to the industry while at the same time bringing better and better products. And we are so driven by this. Um, we see how wide open the space is, especially as a female entrepreneur. Oh my gosh, in this, in the outdoor industry, it is wild how few of us there are. Um, and I, I do think that we bring, a, I bring um, a very, very different sense of community building, collaboration and camaraderie than um, some of the more established brands. Mm-hmm. Am I breaking up a little bit? Just a, a little bit. Okay, <laughs> cool. I've, but it's, can I get a thumbs up that it's still like understandable? Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. If I just like dished out my heart to everybody and it was super choppy, I'd cry <laughs> a single tear. <laughs> um, so, I mean, so it goes like, you know, it's hand in hand. It's like really about design and development and like pushing ourselves as a team um, to heights that I know we can achieve. Um, and part of this like growth and revenue, why I mentioned earlier, this very dry, like mid, like mid-sized company kind of side of things is that like, uh, we need capital in order to have the kinds of technology that we know we need to make like ACE products. We did so much manually. I mean, we have up, up until a year ago, we drafted every single pattern by hand with a ruler and a pencil and exacto. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so proud of that. Um, it, it's, it is really, it's a huge feat that my team made it this far. Uh, so analog. Um, and I'm so excited to see like what we could do with this intelligence that's in this group that we formed if mm-hmm. we had really proper design and development tools and um and skills to match so it's a like it's a really exciting time at swift actually yeah that's awesome all yeah. of that yeah <laughs> so we're in that process it sounds like these days you you think of yourself more a lot more as an entrepreneur and not just uh, a, a maker a bag builder a sewer um, where, where in that development did that, that shift in how you perceive yourself happen? Such a good question, Laura. So, um, I actually think that there were three very clear identity shifts for me. One first was maker. And I think that that really was about five years of the first five years. And it really was the time that I was part of sewing on the assembly line with my team. And I loved those years. They were so fulfilling. It was awesome. Um, And then um, I went to a design, a creative design um, conference in Portland called Structure. And Structure event brought together product designers in the outdoor industry to give a little bit more of a creative outlet than necessarily 
just a technical outlet or a sales driven conversation, um, really to like nurture and re-inspire. And I was in the room with designers from Patagonia, Topo Designs, I mean, um, the North Face, kind of you name it, right? And it was a pretty small conference. There were about 125 people. And I could not believe who I was sitting in that room with. And I left there and I was like, I want to be a designer. This Mm -hmm. is amazing. I I could not, I, I I was so so impressed by folks, by like their integrity, by the way that uh, they think as designers, the way that they interact with their processes was super eye-opening and not something that I had ever, ever been exposed to. So then came the design side. Um, And uh, oh, by the way, I went to school to become a small-scale farmer. So this is like so super, super out of my wheelhouse. This is all like wow, that sounds amazing. Where do I start? Um, so, so for a time, then it was really about being a designer. And then as we, um, hired more and more people and took on more and more risk and investment, um, the responsibility of really, um, committing to our employees to build a financially viable, if not vibrant, uh, workplace became more and more important to me. And, um, the, so then I went to, um, I got a full ride scholarship to businesses on the recommendation of the folks from Swerve. Uh, they had also been in that program and, um, that was the first time then that I got into a space with about 250 other small business owners. And I was like, Oh my God, these are the most amazing people. I love the way that they think. I love the way that they apply their smarts. They know so much more than me. This is what I want to be. Right. (laughs) But also actually, um, initially that transition from being in such a creative space as design to um, a very methodical and strategic place as an entrepreneur, that was pretty challenging for my personality and for my brain. And um, I think that I actually hit up against a, a, a real moment of depression in that transition as I, uh, as a creative, felt like I was really losing touch with the design process and the tangible at the sewing machine work. Um, I also come from like these like, you know, ridiculous, I mean, awesome uh, subcults punk backgrounds (laughs) where like, you know, like, no gods, no masters. And like (laughs) sellout culture is like super frowned on. And so like this whole time as I'm like uh, growing this business, I'm finding like so much mutual experience of like pride and like being so honored to be able to employ folks and build a team that truly just got stronger and stronger the more smarts we put together in one room. And then also feeling like so self-conscious 
that I was assuming more and more of like a desk job, money job, strategy job, efficiency, like um, <laughs> that, that was All like buzzwords. very, very hard for me. Um, and, and I think that um, I really ha- still have a lot of work to do to kind of move Uh, my tendency towards collaboration a little bit to the side and give more directive as a business owner. So like, um, that's like, that's just something that needs probably like a lifetime of work and awareness on my end. That's not been so easy for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, like how, what was it like when you started hiring your, your first, uh, employees? I mean, (laughs) And there must have been a, a bit of kind of angst in delegating, you know, work that that you like to do that you had a specific way to to do. Uh, what was that initial process like? Uh, well, uh, kudos for the first who joined our team because I didn't know what the f I was doing, <laughs> um, and there's no way that they could not see that. <laughs> um so uh the first two folks that we hired on at swift industries um one was sonia mcbride whom you know Mm. um and sonia had just come out of the technical design program here at the at seattle central we have an amazing community college here um And her focus had been on apparel in that program, um, but she was really, really, she still is really committed to working for small scale independent businesses and loves bikes. And so she joined our team and um, never once uh, commented or discredited our processes, even though I literally had her sitting there with a ruler ruling out measuring out every single buckle placement i mean we there's no way we would work that way anymore now we have kind of these digital patterns that are pre-marked but that was how i knew how to do it right (laughs) um and and i think that because i was sewing eight hours a day every single day uh we just sat side by side and that was like a really easy way to train and delegate because we were doing exactly the same work. Um, and then Alana came on and she is now, um, uh, Sonia has gone on. She works now for here in Seattle as a product designer and it's, she's doing amazing work. Um, Alana came on because she was our next door neighbor and kept seeing that was in the, that was in the house where, um, where you and I met Um, and she kept seeing UPS dropping off rolls of fabric and was like, what is going on in that little house next door? And, um, at some point, like very shyly kind of knocked and was like, Hey, uh, think that you work with fabric. Like I see rolls get dropped off and then I see people in like spandex and wool jerseys come and pick up bags. So I'm assuming that's like the conversion that's happening over here. Um, and she just started getting curious. And, um, then, uh, we did work trade for a backpack for her. 
and I never let her go. And she is now <laughs> our senior designer at Swift Industries. That's awesome. Um, so, and eight years later, um, we got to, you know, really like witness each other. I started Swift when I was 24. And so over these eight years with Alana, we've like really, I've gotten to see her grow up and that's mm -hmm. the same for, you know, she's witnessed that for me and we have been through thick and thin growing this company together. It's so amazing. So imagine what it felt like, uh, three weeks ago <laughs> yeah. to, um, have been at her wedding, seen her buy her first home, been there while she was pregnant for the first time. Um, much less the like incredible contributions that she's brought to Swift as a production manager, as a sewer, as a designer, as like uh, a confidant of mine. And then to look her in the eyes three weeks ago and not be able to say with any certainty whether she would be coming back to work. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. She's coming back to work. That's good. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, yeah. So, so now when you like hire for, for new roles, like what's the, I'm, I'm assuming you've refined your process. You're not like, <laughs> you know, over there, there should be, do you create like a, a manual or like a, a style guide or, you know, like what's, how do you get what's in your head to into someone else's head? So they execute, um, you know, to, to your satisfaction. Yeah, that's, that's a really, really good question. And that's evolving for us right now, actually, in a very big way. Um, so we are um, in the process right now of really writing out uh, job descriptions and like really full-fledged week-by-week training schedules as we bring in higher and train uh new folks um i assumed so much about communication and skill um and in the early years uh even just assumed so much about uh what i thought like I thought I was doing such a good job of expressing my dreams and aspirations and also my vision for Swift. Um, and it turns out I really wasn't. Um, and, uh, I think that has also been like a, a really incredible thing to learn how to do. Um, and so now when we hire someone, um, first things first, uh, it, God, oh, it sounds again like so corporate. <laughs> I've never worked in a corporate setting. I don't actually know if this is what happens. <laughs> like right now, like really what we need to do first is really sit down with every new hire and talk about where we came from as a company. Mm -hmm. um, and that is so, so important because it really frames where we are today and gives context to what we are building and how like kind of crazy, but super inspiring it is where we want yeah. to go. Um, and then um, I also think that we are of such a size now, we're, we're a team of 10 on site, um, 
that there is now we're starting to see like these little very natural divisions of um, departments starting to crop up in a slightly different way again like because we can't always be in meetings and you know it takes a lot of time to communicate and then also get stuff done um but it feels very important that still at this size we have the opportunity to introduce each of our new hires to the really critical elements of what each department does and try to do that in a hands-on way so um yeah, we'll have, we are bringing on a new salesperson um, and we'll have her work in the store, even though her role will be working with uh, our independent bike shops. She will be doing wholesale. Um, we want to put her in fulfillment, working side by side as soon as that's allowed. Um, <laughs> working <laughs> side by side with the person doing shipping and fulfillment because it's, so easy to get testy with each other when uh, we don't have a real understanding of how much work, you know, you can just be like, oh, whatever. They just box up an order and out it goes. How hard can that be? Right. Well, <laughs> it turns out there's like a lot of logistics and a lot to pay attention to. And that is like the moment that our proud work goes out into the world. And it's actually a really critical moment. And so really being able to validate everybody's roles at Swift um, while we bring in new folks is exciting and kind of a new part of our processes. And then, yes, handbooks. That is essentially what we have done in COVID times is create flowcharts <laughs> and handbooks. Right. <laughs> well, awesome. <clears throat> Yeah. I mean, it, it, it sounds kind of nerdy, but also I think that there's a lot of value in, in being able to share that story and having people, the people that you work with, you know, own that story also. So yeah. I think that's awesome yeah. that you're moving in that direction. Yeah. There's a lot, there's also, um, maybe I can see like a raise of hands of anybody who's been in a fast growing company <laughs> environment. Um, it is like the territory is under shifting underfoot and we have all committed to that. That is like part of our growth and the excitement of pushing ourselves. Um, and uh, it takes a very, very specific kind of communication and care to be documenting processes, who you go to, to ask for this, who has authority to, say, yes, we're going to buy a thousand dangle bongs. I don't know. Um, <laughs> who, who gets to sign that off, sign off right. on that? Like right. yeah. you know, all of these things are like really change. Oops. <laughs> so you've uh, cut up a little bit or pause. So I don't know if you can rejoin. Hopefully we can get Martina back here. Um, hey, Jason. Um, oh, you're back. Okay, you're back. <laughs> you totally We're froze good. there for a little bit. Fun. Where did it stop <laughs> off? Um, processes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, you're frozen again. Oh, no. <laughs> it's been a minute. Whoops. Are you, gonna, are you moving around? <laughs> Well, uh, this I'm is a good moment. Too. 
this is a good moment that uh, while we wait for Martina's internet to settle down, if you guys have questions in the YouTube chat, don't be shy. And if you guys have questions in Zoom, we'll get to you guys in a bit. Oh, Martina's back. Yay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I broke the internet when I said dangle bongs. There yeah. you go. I think that was the last thing I heard was a thousand dangle bongs. And yeah. then boom. <laughs> 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 That's cool. Like I, I one of the, my interests in, in asking you all these businessy questions is I hope to to bring someone on to the YouTube channel eventually very soon or within the near near term and just start and think about okay, what are the processes? Um, you know, what you know, someone that can edit like me or can can adapt to the style. So always 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 good to learn. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's there's so much to learn uh, with every single new person who comes onto our team. I learn so much about myself. I mm -hmm. learn so much about everybody else because the chemistry completely changes. At in a business that's ten people deep, um, one personality really impacts a lot, um, sure. and it's it's really really cool to. Um, kind of just pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So in this, you know, beyond writing up all of these guides and, and laying out policies and processes, you know, how, how else is uh, this strange last three weeks uh, going to shift how you move forward? Ways that, that Swift does things in the future. How do you? Yeah, there's a real um a real request to slow down and find more method um i think that in this time actually working from home for the first time as a team um it has been refreshing for all of us to have so much time just to get our work done um, there's a lot, like I said, I tend towards a lot of collaboration. Um, but that can also mean that it, it gives less time just to do really efficient work and focused work. Um, so that has felt really awesome. Um, but I also like, I have to say, I'm not one, I don't know if you've gotten this gist, but I'm not one to slow down. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, so we'll see. It will take some discipline to, to slow it down. Um, but we certainly came to a growth period where, frankly, for the last almost year, I, I have almost been praying for an opportunity to pull the brakes mm -hmm. because things are moving so fast here. Um, and so in some ways, I can think, COVID for that opportunity, though it could have come in a different form. Right. <laughs> um, but um, I think when we reopen the doors in two weeks, um, I want very different processes in place the day that that opens. So um, we're going as far as to like, we took this time to do some like really amazing systems and accounting overhauls, um, things that just will make our work so much more intuitive, um, and give frameworks to an architecture to the things that are repetitive. Um, and I do think that with any space that is like kind of opened up 
in those efficiencies, then we can come, we can be as creative as always, but hopefully in a little less chaos. Right. (laughs) We'll see how successful we are with that. That's the goal. Nice. Yeah. It's a good goal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I'm going to open it up to questions in the Zoom. So if you guys have uh, questions for Martina, uh, raise your little blue hand. Uh, come on, Andy. I know you've got a question. Oh, Steve beat you to it. Okay. Uh, Steve, you've got the floor. <laughs> so you've, you're doing some collaborations with both uh, like Ove, Oveja Negra and, um, you know, my, my, I guess my introduction to you was through uh, um, the Fab's Chest. Uh, by uh, by Ron. Yeah. So how, as a business owner, how do you decide like who you collaborate with and like what, you know, how are we doing, how do you decide we're going to do this for you or you should do this for us? Yeah, that's also a great question. Um, so, I think Steve, it's like a great deal about um, kind of, well, for one is chemistry, um, like working with, with anybody. So, um, you know, uh, I don't know if you've had, if you ever have the opportunity to interact with the folks from Oveja Negra, it's like, so, so inspiring. Um, and I love the energy that Lane and Monty bring to the bikepacking community. Um, we are so aligned in how we produce our products and, um, we really, when we saw their product for the first time, we, we all crowded around and we were like, we aspire to this level of quality. Um, and so, uh, also in knowing that we didn't have intentions to move kind of into that more uh, traditional bikepacking space with our designs felt like an awesome opportunity to let them do what they did best um, to complement our product line. And that just was a really, really natural fit. It just kind of happens. Um, and so what we've done with Oveja Negra in the past is that um, you know, a lot of folks want to kind of complete their kit, their Swift Industries kit with a frame bag or a butt rocket bag. Um, and so what, well, is that the, that's a technical term. That's right? a technical term. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Butt rocket. Sweet. Uh, that's always what I've called it. Um, and, and th- there's a company that is uh doing it so exceptionally well, it felt so great to just send them, you know, collaborate with them, make sure they had our colors um, and just let our customers support two companies in their kit, like right off the bat. It was super fun. Um, Already like three years into working with uh, Lane and Monty on these kind of collaboration products, I I don't even know if I would call them collaboration products, that we were selling their products then I had an opportunity to sit on a panel with Lane at the WTF Bike Explorer Summit uh, two years ago in Montana. And um, sitting down in front of folks and really talking about the experiences of founding and running a business, it was awesome. Like it was so incredible um, to sit on stage with Lane and share that story. Um, 
a really powerful um, opportunity for me. Um, and then, um, I mean, I'm getting very long-winded here, but uh, <laughs> basically if the timing is right, if we think that we can make the product that somebody has in mind really well, um, you know, there are going to be times when we don't have the tooling, we don't have the experience, maybe we don't even have like the riding experience to really meet the design need that this person has come to us with, uh, then we're really happy to uh, pass the job along to somebody with um, the skill and who has like really forged their way in, in that arena of design. Um, but I love collaborations because I love learning from people. I can walk into any environment and feel like I will learn seven new things. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, even just sitting down, I don't know, you name it. I'm, I'm in a small business group with dentists and lawyers. And <laughs> while I never would have thought that I would find things that were really, really provocative for my manufacturing company, I always walk away with something really stimulating. And that, that's a lot what these um, collabs do for me. Um, I see them, you know, we've worked, we've gotten a chance to work with Cole Headwear, did a collaboration with Kona this last year. Um, I don't, I've never run a growing business before. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what the next step is. And so these collaborations are an incredible opportunity for me personally to see how teams are led and run how communication works, um, and every team is so different. So it's been this amazing opportunity to really also shape how we want to design our team and our company culture. Cool. I, it's great. So awesome. Yeah, great question. Uh, all right, we've got a question here from uh, Brian from Plano. You've got the floor, Brian. Great, thank you. Um, First of all, I have uh, your Bandito bag on my Salsa Valle. absolutely love it. It's a great bag. Never had a problem with it. Uh, my question is pretty short, actually. I was just wondering uh, the, the, the name and the logo. Where did you get that idea from? Yeah, so um, your question is short. My answers are always long-winded, so <laughs> bear with me, right. Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the house that I went and visited this last weekend where we started Swift Industries was right off of Swift Avenue. And so I think in some ways it just kind of was like living kind of in the back of my head somewhere. And, um, so Swift Industries had a real nice ring to it. And then as Jason and I were starting the company and looking at this word Swift, um, the bird came to mind, um, but this was like kind of the uh, real, this was the put a bird on it time of life. <laughs> so we were like, can't do that. <laughs> and then we discovered the swift fox, which is a small fox endemic to the Great Plains and is known for kind of having like a pretty large territory and like totally fell in love with this little animal. Um, so that's where the logo and the fox have come from. Cool. So totally not based on uh, Loki, your, your, your pup. No, no. Loki came later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. 
Uh, all right, we've got a question from uh, Andy here from uh, Velo Studio. Hey there. I'm interested, you're talking about the collaborations and kind of the, the stages that you've gone through over the years from maker to, um, to designer to now running a, running a business. Well, who are two people or two, two companies, maybe one kind of more bike industry that you'd like to collaborate with? And what would the, like the pie in the sky, like the crazy collaboration, like the dream collaboration, what would those two be? Just kind of the, the bike one and then just like the insane hopes and dreams. Collab. Yeah. Wow. Oh, gosh, that's a really, really good question. <laughs> um, in the bike realm, oh, there's so many. Um, I mean, we have, we have awesome relationships already with so many folks in the bike industry. Um, I actually... If I do, if you don't mind, I'm going to actually table that because I think that there's like a ton um, that we already have in partnerships with folks in the bike industry mm -hmm. that I am actually really, really excited to just keep developing. So um, we've got more products coming out with uh, Ron's bikes um, and just improvements there. And I'm like, I love... Uh, just refining what we've been able to do with Ronnie um, and get better and better at that kind of stuff. Um, I would love to continue working with Kona. Um, and I see a ton of opportunity. I think Kona is such a cool, uh, also kind of mid-sized company. They've stayed really independent. Um, and I... I just, yeah, it was, that was a really great experience working that closely with a, a bicycle design team that really specs um, as a team, as a crew of engineers. Um, we work with a lot of um, uh, small builders and smaller companies and have a lot of admiration for where they are, but it was a very different experience for me working with the designers at, at Kona. And that was really awesome. The pie in the sky. Um, I would love to work with Topo would be like a, a really exciting experience for me. I even have, um, I have sketches for <laughs> potential products. Um, it's fine. Their design team, I think, has seen them. So, but Rick, if you're listening right now, um, just take note. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that if we could ever work with Patagonia, I would be like really, really honored. And also, um, just, you know, it really is about an opportunity to be uh, just to see the inner workings of a company. Um, I have a lot of admiration for Patagonia. I also know, like all of us, that there's got to be challenges there. There's got to be hiccups and um, would love an opportunity to see that a little bit more um, from the inside in some way. Um, so. Cool. Those would be two. Um, yeah. Can I throw Those are that good back ones. at you, Andy? <laughs> Who would you like to see Swift Industries collaborating with? 
Oh, that's a good question. I, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm partial. I'm partial to tools. So I would like to yeah. see, um, you know, I'd like to see a tool roll. Maybe from, I mean, who's interesting? Um, Abby Tools. You yeah. know, in, in, a, in a perfect world, I would have a nice roll of Abby Tools um, in a Swift industry roll. I mean, that would be that would be something that I would hold dear because I'm a, a tool mechanic kind of guy. I love that. Cool. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, any other questions in the Zoom before I go to the YouTube chat? YouTube chat, if you've got questions, leave them in the chat box. Also, let us know uh, where you're viewing from. Um, who we have in here? All right, we've got 142 people watching. So come on, Whoa. ask your questions, guys. Heck yeah. <laughs> Now's your chance. Oh, someone, uh, Juan uh, Sanchez, uh, suggests Silka. Would be a cool yeah. brand. We'd like to see a collaboration with. Um, Let's see, any other questions in the Zoom? Uh, Steve, again, you've got the floor. So you mentioned that at one point, one of your employees um, was a clothing designer. Are there any plans for, let's say, better quality cycling clothing? Uh, let's say knickers, um, those <laughs> types of things for those of us who don't like writing in Lycra so much. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I feel so lucky for is that I don't have to make products that ship, sh that fit onto the incredible diversity of human <laughs> bodies. And um so I, I am personally not interested in moving into apparel design as a company. Um, and I wholeheartedly agree that that space is wide open and really, really needed. Um, apparel is, wow, you know, we, um, we're working right now on a collaboration with Kitspo. And, um, just, just getting an inner look at how they are producing, how they're bringing their product, um, product, how they're bringing their production back stateside, um, how they are coming, um, up against challenges also with fits. Um, you know, we were, uh, really, really big fans of Ivex and, uh, we're delighted that they're back. Um, but you know, that was one example where we really saw how challenging it must be to do apparel and to do it right. And especially out of the materials that are dear to me, namely non-synthetics, <laughs> um, or certainly blends, um, oof, geez, I just, I'm so intimidated by that kind of work. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> So looking at the chat, we've got, uh, whoa, just a bunch of comments just uh, went People through. People from everywhere. Jason's been doing a pretty good job yeah. of answering questions. So C. Oh. Johnson from uh, West Texas. Uh, Roden Diwali uh, says he'd love to see a Swift Industries X MSR collab. 
Oh, um, yes, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, Drew, I don't know if you know Drew Briegel. He's from Beacon Hill, in, uh, Seattle. Uh, he asks, "How do you pick colors and materials for your bags? Is there what's the color uh, picking process like at Swift?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw a dart. <laughs> yeah, we're just like whatever this one, uh, which has been catastrophic at times. Um, so as so, here's one of the like very significant dilemmas of our scale. Um, basically, we do not make even a fraction enough products at this point um, in our sales to be able to mill or have dye lots produced for us. We would be sitting on that color until it came back into fashion, like <laughs> no joke, three decades later. So um, we really are at the mercy of um, textile companies that are willing to make stock um, and what colors they have available. Um, and, uh, that ha can prove rather challenging as somebody who, um, like I love color. Um, when we started Swift, we really like our token was really like these bright, beautiful, bombastic colorways. Um, and what we have found actually is that in, so, so those, the textiles that we started with were mostly in the thousand denier Cordura range. Um, and that's, it's an awesome classic outdoor textile was kind of like brought into the outdoor industry and applied to backpacking packs in the seventies and has endured. It's very, very durable. Um, it's got its charm, but we are looking for textiles that are hardier, that have a very different hand feel um, that, yeah, we just want different characteristics out of textiles. Um, and so as we've kind of moved away from using thousand denier corduras, we have been much more limited in the colors that we can select from. So, um, basically at this point, you know, when we go towards something like X-Pac, which is one of our favorite textiles to work with, um, they've got about 30 colors that everybody gets to choose from, from Nike to Swift Industries. <laughs> and um, and that's that's kind of what we get to select from. Um, maybe one day. I don't know. We'll be so able is it to like a color. Is it like a feeding frenzy? Like, okay, this is a, the color reveal day and then everyone just puts in their orders or and and if you're slow, you lose out or how's that work? Um, so there's no feeding frenzies that I'm aware of, <laughs> but maybe we're just like super small fries. So we don't experience it quite in the same way. Um, I think that, uh, in the, I'm going to make some assumptions here about dimension polyant, but, um, that's, those are the, uh, makers of X-Pac fabric. Um, my sense would be that they are milling to order for very large companies. Um, and then that we, the small, the small fish in the pond, um, the, they're always wanting to run their mills and do a little overage and by little, then that's like actually quite a lot 
just in the scale of things. Um, and um, so most of the time they have pretty real, they have reliable um, sourcing for us, but sometimes we hit up against um, a shortage and it's hectic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've got a question here in the zoom. Uh, this is from David La Bressure. Are you planning on exploring new natural fibers slash fabrics? Uh, if so, which fibers? So um, I, I have to say that I, I am always open to natural fibers. Um, as of yet, however, um, we have not seen textile innovation in natural fibers give to the durability and longevity that uh, we really want to see in our products. And the um, resistance of a natural fiber is just so different than a synthetic. Mm -hmm. um, and at some point, I mean, we, we can debate this all day long. Um, at some point, it becomes challenging to decide should this bag last two seasons and be made out of a natural fiber which is still extractive or should it last eight to ten times that as a synthetic um and there's arguments on all sides uh textile production is a pretty tough industry dying um it's so water intensive. Dyes can be very, very harsh on the environment. Um, so there, you know, it's these are all the questions. Right. To answer your question, <laughs> <laughs> I do not have anything currently on my radar. Um, though I would, I will be so excited when um, something comes up that is like really feels like it could make the match. Uh, let's see. In the YouTube chat, we've got Jeffrey Dunning from Kirkland, uh, Jesse Molina from uh, Hollister, California. Well, so we got someone, uh, John DeBeth from uh, Perth, Australia. Whoa, we got Cork, awesome. Ireland in the house. Whoa. Many people, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, someone from Columbia, Indiana, all, all the exotic places. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what else do you have here? <laughs> Juno, Arkan or Juno, Arkansas, Juno, Alaska. <laughs> Can I ask the audience something? Yeah, go for it. Um, what is missing from our product line, you guys? What do you want to see that we're not making? Cool. All right, YouTube chat, get to work. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ask you a question that I think I, I broached uh, with you, like the video idea for uh, when we were in Tucson. And I think you know what it is because it comes up every time I review one of your bags. And the question is, you know, what do you say to someone um, who says, you know, I like your bags, but why are they so expensive? Oh, Russ, this is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I would say the answer I would give is um, we know how expensive our product is. Um, and it is not needlessly expensive. It is not an inflated price tag. Um, 
it is kind of mind blowing to understand the layers of expense that go into running a business. And uh, God, here I go with a long answer again. <laughs> um, and, and that's actually one of the really fascinating things I'm learning about scale. Um, so where we have ambitions to grow is also partly tied to this idea that like our overhead, the cost of maintaining a website, creating content, that all needs to get redistributed more and more evenly over like as many bags as we can sell. Um, we live undeniably in an expensive city. So that is part of the equation for sure. Um, so when you are investing in a Swift Industries bag, you are investing in Seattle. Um, and I, you know, there are so many options and, and good options out there for bags that are less expensive. I can only speak to the value and integrity of our products. I think we make really, we do outstanding work. And that means that we have committed ourselves to that refinement and sewing is not an easy job. Mm -hmm. um, it is taxing on the body. It requires so much craft and precision and that craft and precision needs to be maintained for hours every single day on every single product. And I just don't believe that that is a line of work that deserves a lower wage, which is essentially how we are getting other products for cheaper. Um, and then with that, like none of us are getting rich off this. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I, you know, I will again, like very honestly disclose that like, um, it doesn't make sense for our business to provide healthcare at this point because it's so expensive for scale of business to do that, that we're lucky enough to have the Washington healthcare exchange still in place. And, um, you know, we, we can't offer company benefits like that. And I would almost pose it to the audience, you know, I know not everyone is, but how many folks get their benefits from their companies? Um, so we still have a long ways to go. And we know that we can't make our products more expensive for a lot of different reasons, in part because like it does not allow everybody who should feel the cathartic nature of riding bikes and traveling by bike that experience. It's a huge barrier to entry. Um, we want more and more people to experience it, but we can't do it to the expense of our own health and well-being. So this is like a huge puzzle. Mm -hmm. Um, do we take production to a less expensive place? Uh, is that stateside? Is that overseas? Um, I mean, at this point, those are ultimately the only ways that we can reduce our prices. And, and we're here to work on that puzzle for sure. Right. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, a big misconception, and I always try to explain this whenever I get that comment is like, you can't just factor in, you know, cost of materials because I could oh, buy the materials, no. but it would take me like three months to make a small bag. It would still suck. <laughs> and not, not to mention all like the business costs, you know, the, the marketing and just the, all the infrastructure that, that goes into to running a business. 
Yeah. Um, and on the, on the scale side too, I think one thing that's uh, really that we're coming up against is uh, as we're going through a little bit, we're like just behind a little growth spurt um, that, you know, as with every industry, you get different pricing at different volume. And that includes buckles and snaps and thread and fabric. And so uh, not only do companies who are mass producing overseas have the volume perhaps to justify, um, you know, really enlisting a huge factory overseas to do work for them, but also the materials cost is going to be at a significantly different margin than it is for us, we essentially don't have purchasing power. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's different when, oh my gosh, when we started making our bags, we were buying fabric from Seattle Fabric, which is up in on Aurora. And I mean, we were making no margins because we were paying retail for Cordura to make our bags. We didn't have any (laughs) other sources and we were not going to put... $350 $350 into a brown that at that time felt like it was going to last for three generations. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's just kind of all of these margins that become cumulative. And, and I don't, I don't blame people for having that question. It, it does look from the outside, it looks really uh, inflated or exorbitant, but I assure you, this is what it costs to produce our bags. Right. Good answer. Cool. Um, we'll take a question in the Zoom and then start to wrap things up. So, uh, Brian, you've got the floor. Yeah. Um, to answer your question, Martina, one of the things I would like to see bikepacking bag manufacturers make more of is backpacks. Um, I, I use backpacks quite a bit. I spend a lot of money on them. I tend to go toward the higher quality bags and knowing that that money is going overseas, I'd rather spend my money on a company that I know is, is making that product here in, in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. What are some <clears throat> of the characteristics of a backpack that are, feel most important to you? The quality mainly it, I, I, I use them a lot and I tend to wear them out pretty quickly and, and going with a, a cheap backpack is just really just a waste of money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that, Brian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's another interesting comment in the, in the YouTube chat here, Andy uh, Lagason, a sugar loaf basket bag that is also a backpack. <laughs> Oh, or, hey. Or it could be Dang. a really, lar- really large hip bag. Or a swing bag. Hopefully, Jason is uh, taking notes of all the, the answers uh, here because there's there's some great ideas in here. Cool. Um, so let's see. Zeitgeist like bag that runs lengthwise along the top of a rear rack with mm-hmm. pockets on each side. Yeah, that's one that we've actually gotten a lot of requests for, um, especially, yeah, we've kind of seen a surge of rack top bag inquiries. That's mm-hmm. great. Uh, what else? Yeah. Wow. Um. <laughs> so much. 
Oh, people want to see a, a path less pedaled and swift collab. <laughs> with trout tape. Uh, yeah. Right, with trout tape. <laughs> yep. Uh, Antoine RJ Wright says maybe a roll top handlebar bag about half the size of the Zeitgeist. Cool. There's yeah, a lot awesome. of a lot of people uh, jumping on behind frame bags. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, cool. Well, I think um, I think we'll kind of take it home here. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah. Wait, before we close, I think you just have to like share Casey's suggestion here. Casey Clark, camping go slow, X Swift, tiny fanny packs that attach to the straps of my Crocs. Okay. <laughs> crack, crack popping, <laughs> crock packing. Crock packing. There you go. <laughs> that could be a thing. <laughs> um, do you mind if I uh, invite your audience to another event next week? Go for it. That'd be awesome. Um, well, so I have been like insanely inspired by what is going on with the WTF Bike Explorers. And uh, I don't know if all of you are privy to this, but this is the inaugural year of the WTF Gravel Team. And because so many events are canceled um, and we just haven't gotten a chance to get to know them riding side by side with them or in my case, chasing them. Um, <laughs> I thought it would be really awesome to get that crew together to um, have them introduce themselves. So on May 6th, please join us. We're going to just do like a live chat Q&A with this incredible team that's developed. Um, I'm super, super excited. So awesome. please join us. So that's also going to be on our YouTube channel live. And wish me luck. Yeah, guys, I've never hosted yeah. that. So here we go. Cool. Yeah, and if you guys aren't aware, Swift does have their own YouTube channel, and they've been putting up content, so lots of uh, kind of tutorials and how to use their bags. Uh, also, some you know, it looks like uh, I saw Jason's test live stream. So it looks like there's some good content brewing over there. So definitely be sure to uh, subscribe to the Swift Industries uh, YouTube channel. And uh, thank you again so much, Martina. Always such a good time to to talk with you. I feel like we every couple of years we have like this business check in. You know, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it is it's awesome. It's so refreshing to connect with you guys. Yeah. So hopefully uh, next time we see each other, it will be uh, under better auspices, and it won't be just virtual. Yeah, and maybe uh, pedaling next to each other, right? On yes. bikes, <clears throat> bikes and fishing, or watercolors. Um, Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, nice. So thanks everybody you, uh, for your questions. Yeah. Thank you, YouTube chat. Thank you, uh, Patreon supporters in the Zoom call. Um, Again, once again, thanks to Martina. And if you guys enjoy these live streams, we've got a ton coming up. I think we're going to be doing a live studio tour with Jay Ritchie. Uh, we're going to have Ron, uh, Ultra Romance, talking about Ultra Dynamico tires. Uh, we're going to have the folks at Bike Insights talk about developing that website and all the bike nerdiness. And we also just, uh, I think I just nailed down a date with WTB Tires. And we're going to build the perfect gravel tire on on live stream. So lots of good stuff. Uh, if you like this content, like, share, subscribe. And once again, as always, keep the supple side down. <laughs>